I'm glad to know him. I'm glad. To, doesn't it feel great on a Wednesday night in the presence of the Lord? Would you just give him a great hand clap of praise? Turn and shake somebody's hand. We're going to let uh, kids' church be dismissed. We're going to let nursery be dismissed. And all you people on this side, I know you're a little cold. It's because we had it a little lower on that. We're raising it right now. going to help you out a little bit. And you're welcome. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. You can be seated when you're when you've done all that. Amen. Amen. Another good crew here tonight on Wednesday. I'm thankful for it. Amen. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 4. When it is all said and done, if you cannot quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4, I will be very disappointed with you. (laughs) You need to be able to quote that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Why are we spending so much time talking about uh, the Godhead? Why are we studying this so long, so many services? Who is Jesus? The reason is this. We have, you have to believe on him before he can save you. Okay? When we come to God, the Bible says that he is, we must believe that he is And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So that's key. You got to believe that he is. That he is what? That he is our savior. That he is our God. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, tonight, I want to go through a few things. And there's, there's there's a... at some point in here, I'm praying the Lord's going to help me. I'm going to try to make a little bit of a detour, and I don't know how it's. I don't know how to get to that detour tonight. So I'm I'm just kind of praying the Lord will help me get there. Um, there's 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 a avenue that I feel like we need to get into somehow. And so if we make an abrupt turn at some point, y'all just chalk it up to I was having a little problem uh, negotiating the curve tonight. Okay. All right. Um, Isaiah 47 and 4. Isaiah 47 and verse number 4. The Bible says, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, the Holy One of Israel. What is amazing about that is that at the time this scripture was written, the Lord had not redeemed anybody yet. Nobody had been redeemed. Nobody, to to redeem something means to 
purchase it to you. Y'all remember when, um, y'all heard the story of Ruth and Boaz? Ruth was, had been married to a part of the family of Boaz and her husband had died. And the law for them said that uh, a family member could redeem the property that she and Naomi had as well as Ruth, could, they could redeem all of that to themselves. And uh, Boaz wound up being the man who wanted to do that. But uh, he said, there is another who is, who is closer in line to you than I am, and he would be the one that would have the first right. So, aren't you glad it's not like that today, ladies? <laughs> He said he would have the first right to do this thing. Um, he said, so I've got to see how he feels about it. And he, he, he was pretty sharp. He approached it pretty smart. He went to the guy and he said, hey, he said, did you hear that Naomi has come back? He said, oh, man, Naomi's back. She's been gone to Moab for several years and she's back now. He said, yeah. He said, she's got some land and you're, you're the guy up. You get to claim the land. Great, great. You know, that's going to increase my wealth, and it's another piece of property. And uh, as my uh, adopted grandfather used to say, they're not making any more of it. That's great. I'll take it. And he said, oh, good. So you're going to take it. Yeah, I'm going to take it. He said, all right. Um, by the way, Ruth comes with the property. <laughs> you get to marry Ruth. And the guy said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm already married. And if I try to add another wife to my household, it's not going to be a good thing. I'm paraphrasing. This is the Kenneth O'Connell version you're getting tonight. <laughs> so he said, uh, he said, I cannot do that. And Boaz said, okay. And, and they went through, <coughs> excuse me, they went through the process of, of uh, transferring that to Boaz. And Boaz married Ruth. And in doing so, he redeemed to himself. Um, and the Lord, what he did for us on Calvary is he redeemed us to himself. He purchased us. There has to be an exchange. For Ruth, believe it or not, there was an exchange of a shoe. A shoe. I'm not going to follow that rabbit trail because I don't... I don't think I'd like where it would lead and what, what trouble it could get me into. Um, the Lord, what did he give in exchange for us? He gave innocent blood. He shed his innocent blood, and in so doing, he purchased us to himself. So when the prophet Isaiah writes this and says, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel, there had never been any redemption take place by God toward humanity. It had not happened. So this is a prophetic scripture. This is what we would call a messianic prophecy. Messianic, it's just going with Messiah. It's a messianic prophecy that uh, the Lord of hosts is his name. He is, and this is what I want you to really notice, he is the Holy One of Israel. Everybody see that? The Holy One of Israel. Now, 
Um, the reason I'm keying in on that tonight is to show to you the Bible never talks about God as a plurality of the Godhead. The Bible never discusses the Lord as being a plurality. It is always in a singular term. Um, and again, going to the key scripture of the Bible, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I know I said this, and I'm re- I, I know I'm repeating some things, but some things I'm repeating because I want them really down deep inside your brain and your heart. Okay? But that is the key scripture of the Bible. How can you say that? I can say that. Because it was the first, it was the heaviest commandment that God gives to them in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, when they asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment, Jesus said that the Lord our God is one Lord. This is the greatest commandment. All right? So he reemphasizes this in the New Testament. Now, all of that just to remind you that God, the Bible never speaks of God in a sense of a plurality. He's always referred to as one. As one. There is one God. Okay? There is only one God. I know I'm saying that a lot. There's only one God. I, I want to be very clear. There is not one God who manifests himself in three persons. There is only one God. He has... Related to us in different ways. But it was not three separate persons. It was the same God. And I'm just jumping ahead a little bit. But let me just tell you this. The reason that I'm not afraid of terms like Father. And Son. And Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. I'm not afraid of of those terms. Because those are Bible terms. Okay, let me tell you what is not a Bible term. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, that is not Bible terminology. Because that is trying to indicate three separate persons. How many know that a person, us three guys right here, we are three separate persons? There are some people who would explain the Godhead to you like this. They would say, just like a baseball. How many of y'all are familiar with baseball before I get into this? <laughs> Enough. <laughs> a baseball team has nine players on the field. Okay? When you're on the field, you have nine players on the field. And somebody who, who is trying to promote the Trinitarian viewpoint would say, it's just like a baseball team. It's nine players... But it's only one team. And I, 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 okay, I see what you're saying. The problem with that is you still have nine players. You have nine players. And they look at the Godhead as having three persons, one Godhead. Okay? When we get to heaven, there will only be one person that we will see. And when you begin to talk about the Godhead... Jimmy, you might be able to help me with this. I'm, I'm trying to think how to search this. Search, uh, search person. Um, search person and search Jesus and see if it'll be New Testament scripture. There's only one time in all of the in all of the uh, Bible 
that the word person is used in reference to God. And it is not used in the sense to identify three separate persons. It is only used in the sense to identify that there is one person in the Godhead. Okay? There's only one. Everybody hear this. There's only one person in the Godhead. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the, the apostle said. He is the image of the invisible God. And if you're not able to find that, don't worry. I know I didn't help you very much on that one. Um, he is the express image, the Bible said, of the invisible God. That is the only person that we have. And when we get to heaven, we will not see three thrones. Read the book of Revelation. You will not see three t- thrones when we get... There it is. I was all around it. I was saying person and express image. And it was all together. Who being the brightness of his glory. Who's this talking about? This scripture is talking about Jesus. It is saying that Jesus being the brightness of his glory. Of whose glory? The Father's. I'm going to show you how this works. Don't, don't get lost here. When you see Father, you think Spirit. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. Now, God is a Spirit and you cannot see a Spirit. So, so that's why we have this next line. And the express image of His person. Jesus Christ is the express image. When you think... When you are going to see God, you will only ever see God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's New International? Okay. The, thank you, I see what you're saying. And the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God could not be seen. And so God said, I am going to create a vessel for myself. That I will get into. Not this, this vessel is not going to be another part of the Godhead. That, that another portion of the Godhead will get into. I'm going to get into it. And that will be the express. And so when we get to heaven. We will only ever see God. In the face of Jesus Christ. That is why the Bible teaches. That there is only one throne in heaven and and the apostle john told us that one set on the throne there's only room for one on the throne how can that be possible if you just add up all we've been talking about through this bible study of the godhead you see how that is possible it is possible because god put himself into that fleshly vessel so that we could see him, so that he could relate to us. The Bible said he's tempted. You heard me talk about it a while ago when we were praying. Tempted in all points like as we are. How can God be tempted in all points like as we are? The only way that was possible was for God to put on flesh. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. And so, Jesus Christ is the express image of God. All right? Y'all with me? Okay. Now, 
I was discussing that because I was talking about the fact that the Bible never refers to God in a plurality or in a triune uh, sense. It is only one God. And in Isaiah, the verse we used in Isaiah 47 and 4, when it's a messianic prophecy, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. All right, so we know that the Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. David spoke prophetically about Jesus, also using the term Holy One. And his prophecy was quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2 and Paul in Acts chapter 13. I'm not going to go there tonight, but when David spoke of Jesus as the Holy One, that the Messiah who was to come, Peter talked about that and Paul talked about They both reached back to say this is that messianic prophecy. Um, and that was Psalm 16 and 10 that they quoted. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, even the devils recognized that he was the one true God manifested in flesh. Mark chapter 1. I'm going to come back to that holy one stuff here. Mark chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. The Bible says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Now, we were talking Old Testament a minute ago, right? We were talking prophecy about God a minute ago, right? Now we're in the New Testament. And the devil speaks up and says, What do we have to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. The devil called... Not Satan, but a demon called Jesus out and said, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. When he did that, he was tying him in to the one that was prophesied about by David way back in the book of Psalms. Tying all of this together. And when the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul were trying to bring about conversion in the lives of people, notice, it is amazing, it is amazing that whenever the Apostles are going out and they're, they're converting people and trying to say, let's, let's get on board with this Christianity thing. When they do that, it is amazing how often they start with who Jesus was. The Apostle Peter did it on the day of Pentecost. He begins his whole message preaching to them about who Jesus was. Convincing them that Jesus was in fact the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. In other words, he was the Holy One that God had, that God had prophesied was going to come all of those years about through the prophets. And... and Tying all of those things in together, saying y'all have to realize who Jesus is. And when they want to bring conversion about in the lives of people, they always go back to who Jesus is. That's why this is so important to me that we get this. If we're going to truly, there's a difference between being born again and being converted, by the way. 
Some people are born again, but they're never converted. That's why they don't stick in walking with God. They were born again just like you were born again. But they did not allow conversion to take place in their lives. They were never changed. They were never changed. And they never, they never adjusted um, who they were as in, in relation to who God wanted them to become. They did not convert. And so we've got to make sure that we're just not born again, but that we actually come to conversion. And, and you'll see this when, when, when they're trying to convert people to God. They're always, they're always coming down and saying, let's get this cornerstone thing right. This cornerstone identity of who Jesus Christ is, that he is God manifest in the flesh, that he is exactly who the prophets prophesied about. And by the way, when the prophets prophesied about the Messiah that was to come, it was very obviously understood, and I don't have time to go back through all of this. I'm trying not to re-preach stuff I've already preached. But, but it was very obvious to them that it was, that was referenced that it was going to be God himself who would deliver them. It would be God himself who would deliver them. And so Jesus is God. I think we've probably been nailing this down pretty hard, haven't we? Paul let us know that the Jesus that we serve today is the same God who created everything that exists in the beginning. Colossians 1 and 14. Colossians 1 and 14. I'm going to read down through 19. And then I'm going to go to Colossians 2. Colossians 1 14. In whom we have redemption. There I'm going back to that word redemption. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Through whose blood? Jesus. Jesus. A spirit hath not flesh and bone, as you see me have. That's what Jesus said. God had no blood. That's why he had to create a a vessel to put his spirit into so that that blood could be shed. All right? In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. You know what? I just feel a little inspiration. Take your Bible, if you have it. It's good to bring your Bible on Wednesday nights, folks. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Pull it up on your phone if you've got it. Genesis chapter number 1. Now, I'm going to read to you what I was just reading a moment ago while you're going there. In whom, we talking about Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all... This is the key. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That scripture tells us that Jesus created everything. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse number 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Wait a minute. Genesis chapter 1 has God doing all this stuff. And Colossians just said Jesus created it. All right. Genesis 1, (laughs) verse number 6. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And God, verse 7, and God made the firmament and divided the waters. Verse number 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. Verse 11. And God said. Remember it said everything created. And God said let the earth bring forth grass. Herb yielding seed after his kind. And the tree yielding fruit. Excuse me I, I, I got in the different verse. Let the earth bring forth grass. The herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Who created that in Genesis 1? God. Verse 14. And God said. Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven. To divide the day from the night. Um, Verse 16. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. The lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Anybody get the feeling. There's one God doing all this creating right here. Can we agree on that? There is one God that is doing all of the creating here. <laughs> Verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth. And God created great wells and every living creature that moveth. That's 21. All right. Now, go back with me to Colossians 1, what, whichever verse that was, 15 maybe. For by him, 16, excuse me. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. This verse, again, in whom we have, it said, in whom we have redemption through his blood. He's the image of the invisible God. All of the Bible keeps declaring to us that Jesus Christ is the image of God. It keeps happening. I, I mean, that's not even up for debate. That's not even up for debate with anybody. No one's going to argue that. And Jesus is the one Colossians chapter 1 is talking about here in verse 16. And it says, for by Jesus were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth. And yet in Genesis 1, we have God doing all the creating. How is it possible? Did the Bible lie to us? No. It's possible because God did create all that stuff in Genesis 1. And it is that same God that was in the flesh the humanity of Jesus Christ, that spirit got inside of that humanity, and that is why we say that Jesus is God. Now, folks, that's pretty good stuff tonight. We ought to clap our hands and give God some praise. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. This goes back into 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that Jesus is the head of the church. That he's the head of the body. Uh, He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have preeminence. 
for it pleased the Father. Verse number 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. What does that mean? That verse means, verse 19 means that it pleased God that in that vessel all the fullness of God would dwell. And so there is not some of the Godhead dwelling in there. The verse, another verse I keep coming back to, but I want to hit it right here now. Colossians 2 and 9. It says, speaking of Jesus, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Alright? So I know I just keep hammering this stuff home. And I'm doing that on purpose. I'm wanting you to get this down deep inside of you that you know who Jesus is. Folks, the, one, of the reasons, one of the reasons we should be able to stand so strong on the doctrine of the new birth, of being born again. Now, some people say that you're born again as soon as you believe that Jesus Christ is Savior. And we teach that is the beginning of it. We teach that you must believe that He is the Savior, that He is God manifest in flesh, but that you must repent to identify with His death. You must be baptized in his name to identify with his burial. And you must be filled with the Holy Ghost to identify with his resurrection. That is what the apostle Paul called the gospel. And, and th- this, is, this is so key. I'm, I'm driving all of this home because I want you to understand that the doctrine we believe about salvation, it is, it is true, it is right. But one of the things that will help you Get a hold of the, if you're struggling with new birth, one of the things that will help you wrap your, get a hold of that and say, you know what, that is, that has to be the way it is, is when you get the, the concept that not everybody understands who Jesus is. There's a lot of people struggling and they're, they're attempting to teach that Jesus is only a portion of the Godhead. But that is not a biblically accurate position. He in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, if somebody doesn't get that right, then why am I going to, to trust them on the matter of salvation? So it matters that we get this stuff. Because, because I've got I've to know that everything that this church is teaching and everything that this church believes, I've got to know that it's truth. If it's not truth, I don't want a part of it. If this isn't the truth, then, 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 then why am I here? Why, why are we pushing this? Why did Jonesboro need another church? There's, a, there's hundreds of churches in Jonesboro and around here. Why does Jonesboro need one more church? Why does Sanctuary need to be here? I'm going to tell you why Sanctuary needs to be here. It's because not everybody understands this. So every church is not the church. And we have to make certain that we've got this stuff right. We've got to make certain of this. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more important in your life than knowing that you've got living according to this downright. Well, that's, that's worth saying again. There is nothing more important in your life. I don't care. I don't care if it's your job. I don't care if it's your family. There is nothing more important in your life than knowing that you have got this book down right and you are living according to what this book says. It is the single most important thing in your life and in mine. I've got to get this. 
So that's why we're passionate about it. That's why we're so strong on who Jesus is. That's why we're so strong on being born again. The way the Bible teaches us to be born again. Because if if these things are not right. That's why we're so strong on holiness under the Lord. Because we've got to grow in God. And we've got to, to, to live a life of holiness and be holy as he is. Or we won't see him. If we don't get these things correct. Then folks... I don't know any other way to to heaven. Let's just be blunt about it. I don't know any other way to get to heaven. The only way I know to get to heaven is following that book. And so I'd love to get up here tonight. No, I wouldn't. Some preachers would love to get up here tonight and give you and say, you know what, this may say one thing, but I'm just going to tell you what I, what I feel like. If you'll do this, this will be okay. It'd be nice to do that. I'd make it real easy on a lot of us. I would. I mean, I'd make it real easy. But the truth of the matter is, and I know this is hard. I know this is hard because we're living in a day and age. Maybe I think we might have found our turn tonight, okay? We're living in a day and age where we're trying to make life as easy as possible. Are we not? Folks... When, when I get in my truck tonight to back up and I put it in reverse, a camera is going to show up in the middle of my dash. <laughs> I'm 33 years old. And, I don't, and, and, and it's not real hard for me to do, but I don't have to turn around no more. It's so easy. Now, y'all laugh at me, but you like it too. That's pretty, that's pretty handy. And those of you that don't have it yet, you're saying, one of these days I'll have that too. <laughs> and, and some of you, when you're getting ready for church on Sunday and, and you're thinking about what you're going to do after, after church, you, you take a roast or you take something... This probably don't happen as much as it used to happen. But you put something in the crock pot and you let it sit there. When I was growing up in Garden, we, we, and Leah knows what I'm talking about, we had massive family dinners. Did we not? Massive family dinners every Sunday afternoon. Um, still do. Her, her parents uh, live right next door to my parents. That's my, her mom is my mom's cousin and, and, and so... When church was over, we'd go home. Gurdon doesn't have a bunch of restaurants. Gurdon doesn't have a bunch of restaurants. And so uh, we didn't have many options, you know. And so we would go home, and they they would divvy it up. You know, what somebody's going to cook meat this week. Somebody's going to cook some vegetables. And somebody's going to do this and dessert. And they divvy it up. And uh, I never did any of that. <laughs> but I did a real good job of eating it. <laughs> and, and so we would we would we would do that, and and some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Why do you put that roast in the crock pot and leave it there? It's because it makes life a little easier, doesn't it? It's pretty nice to cook with a crock. I, I saw somebody the other day talking about how the crock pot was the greatest thing that ever came along because of all you can do with it. And 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 we're constantly looking way for ways to simplify life and make life easier. And there, I mean, it, this is true. This is true. We're trying to make life as easy as possible. The day will come 
and, and my wife will probably say that I'd love it, the day will come when you won't have to get out of your recliner. You'll just sit there and all this stuff will come to you somehow. I don't know. My wife teases me about that recliner. She said, you come home, you sit down that thing, and, 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 and you're just stuck there, it seems like. I'm telling on myself tonight. And, and, and we're looking for life to be easy, easy, easy. And that's not just inconveniences with driving our cars and cooking our meals and everything else. We're wanting to make life as easy as we possibly can when it comes to matters that pertain to spiritual, spirituality. But I've got to tell you tonight, I've got to stand here and tell you that you cannot water this book down and try to make it easier. This is God's word. And so I don't care how, I, I know we're living in American culture. Uh, Brother David, you were talking about Dustin saying when he gets home, if he hears anybody complaining when he gets home, he wants to just slap them or something and, and, and let them have it because, because he's been where people don't have nothing. He's been in Africa for, for these several months and, and going to be there till December, I think it is. And he's seen people who have nothing, literally nothing, and, and just, just living in complete and utter poverty. And they don't know any better. They don't know any better. They're not, they, I've got news for you. Those people aren't struggling to obey this book. You know who's struggling to obey this book? It's those of us that have all these comforts and conveniences. And we've convenienced our life all the way down to where we think that God is going to be okay if we convenience his word away. But I'm going to tell you it's not going to happen. God's word is forever settled. Well, I'm doing some pretty good preaching tonight. His word is forever settled. God's not changing it. I don't care what the Supreme Court does. I don't care what Congress does. I don't care what the president does. I don't care what Craighead County does. I don't care what city of Jonesboro does. God's not changing his word. I don't care what parents do. I don't care what employers do. I don't care what kids do. I don't care what any of us do. God's not changing his word. His word, the Bible, said it is forever settled. That means the issue has been set in stone. It is done. It is finished. And God's not looking for anybody to edit his word. Well, (laughs) I'm going to sit down a minute. I'm getting worked out. I feel my help coming tonight. God doesn't need you or me to try to fix the problems we have with it. God is not saying, if you will adjust this, we'll be okay. God is saying, you adjust your life to fit my word. You don't adjust my word to fit your life. And who is struggling with that? It's the people who have everything given to them. We've got so much. And we're, and we're, trying, to, we're trying to let that get into every part of our life. But you can't do it. You've got to stand strong on this word. You've got to hold on to the word of God. It is unchanging. It is unchanging. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and shift gears to, to, to this other thing I was telling you about. Now, didn't know how I'd get here, but I feel like the Lord's led us tonight. God has a real hard time reaching people who are elitists. 
God has a very hard time reaching people who are prideful, haughty. The Bible even says that God resisteth the proud. You think you're going to come to God with your pride? You're going you're gonna to show up one day and say, well, God, I know, what, I, I know your word said that I had to humble myself. That I was going to have to repent for my sins. But, but, but you have to understand who I am. And you have to understand the life I've made for myself. And, and, and you have to understand that I'm a good person. And God says, you can just, all that pride. As long as, as, long as you're going to hold on to that. God says, I've got you at arm's length. I'm resisting you. Likewise, ye, I knew you'd have it up there. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So God is holding the prideful attitude and spirit. He's holding that at arm's length. And he's saying, until you humble yourself. I know people don't want to hear this about God. Anybody going to help me preach right now? (laughs) Nobody wants to hear this. But he says, until you will humble yourself, you stay back. Because I cannot do in you what I want to do until you allow yourself to be broken before me, until you come to me and you plow up your fallow ground, Bible, you plow up your fallow ground until you come to me and you say, God, I'm going to, to, to come to you in, in, in a manner of kneeling, in, in a manner of submission. God says, until you can do that, we don't have any common ground for me to work in your life. Because God cannot work in the life of somebody who considers himself to be their own God. And that is what we are doing. When we try to do it our way, as opposed to his way. And the Lord says, you've got to submit yourself to me. You've got to humble yourself before me. God is nowhere near the proud. God is near the broken. That's where God is. When I came to God, and I really got things right in my life, I grew up going to church Sure, but when I really got things right in my life, you know when God found me? He got me when I was broken. And if we went through this room, I I, I used the example, Brother Dub, of you the other day. God came and started working in your life when you were sick and you were broken. God started doing something. And if we went through the room and we started, when did you really get things right with God? It's when when I let myself be broken in the presence of the Lord. When I, when I began to tear off the facade of pride that I had and, 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 and me thinking, uh, you know, I can do this, do, do this thing. My, I, can, I can try to co-mingle my, my way with God's way. And when we got rid of all of that stuff, that's when God began to work in our lives. And that's when we settled the issue that we would live for Him. God, help us. God, help us to never lose That in the apostolic church. God help us. 
Don't ever let us think we've gotten so far with our buildings. And we've gotten so far with our music and our instruments and our lights. And everything else we may have. God, please don't let us get to some point that we think we've come so far that we don't need you anymore. Folks, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now. If the Lord had to tear down this building. Put us under an old brush arbor somewhere. Get us out. I know we fight mosquitoes in northeast Arkansas. But I'd rather fight mosquitoes and live for God than be in this place tonight and be as far away from Him as I could possibly be. I want to be right with God. God can't fill up things that are full. Some of us are so stinking full of ourselves. Y'all knew that was coming. We're so full of ourselves, me, 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 that there's nowhere for God to come. And until we empty of self, we can never fill up with God. Who did he, who did he say to come to him? He said, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, those of you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take a look at church history. You start in the book of Acts, and you just follow it all the way down to 2015, and you look in church history, and do you know when we've had the greatest revivals? It's been in times of persecution. When we had nowhere else to go. When there was no other place to stand. The songwriter said, I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builder rejected. Why do we do that? Because there was nowhere else to go. There was nowhere to go. There was nowhere to go. There was nowhere. At Azusa Street. When the city was writing about them and saying those crazy Pentecostal people, they get together. It, it's, it's a shame the way uh, you go read the articles. It's a shame the way peoples of all people of all different races are coming together and, 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 and they're putting their arms around each other and they're praying with each other and they're, ex, they're exuberantly shouting and they're dancing and they're falling out. And they started listing all these things. It's a shame when that's the kind of stuff we're trying to get away from. Well, we need to have a Book of Acts church. And let me tell you something. You say, well, well, I just don't know how necessary all of that stuff is. Well, I don't know how necessary all of it is either. But I'm going to tell you one thing. It sure ushered in a great revival. It sure brought in, it brought in a great revival in the Book of Acts. When people looked at him and said, you must be drunk. What's going on with you? You're out here praising. Read your Bible. They're out here praising God. Declaring his wonderful works. They're worshiping. They're not being timid. They're not being quiet. One of the reasons I don't think we need to be timid or quiet right now. With a bunch of stuff going on. But they're not timid or quiet. They're just out there giving God the praise. They're out there giving God the glory. And it drew people to such an extent. That they said you know what. Something's going on. Tell us about it. And even though. Some of them probably never did come to God. A whole lot of them did. 
And when the Lord said, I'm going to allow there to be a latter-day outpouring, and it began to be poured out in earnest in, in, in the early 1900s, and you have Azusa Street that from there spread all over the world. It was happening in other places, but that was a, a key location from, from that little livery stable, a livery stable. That building was falling down. That building was dilapidated. But out of that building, that's where this church came from. And it's out of that building that that big church in Alexandria came from. And it's out of that building that Garden and Poplar Bluff and every other church that you've ever known has come out of. I'm telling you, it may not have seemed like much, but there was a group of people who said, we're going to go ahead and give God praise. And we're going to go ahead and allow God to, uh, to humble us in His sight. And we're going to lay aside our pride. And we're going to lay aside our notions of who we are. And we're going to lay aside our arrogance. And we're going to lay aside our thoughts on it. We're going to lay aside our ways. And we're going to quit trying to mix all this stuff together. And when people did that, God said, I'll bless that group of people. And there were a lot that wrote negative about it. Yes, there were. You can go read the news articles. But there was a whole lot of people that came from all walks of life. Some of them were poor. Some of them were wealthy. They came from all kinds of walks of life. Some of them had probably never had a lot of issues in their life. Others were drunks. They came from every strata of society. And a lot of them were the down and out. And they came, they said, I haven't found it in money, and I haven't found it in alcohol, and I haven't found it in drugs, and I haven't found it in illicit sex, and I haven't found it in anything else. I've been looking for something like this all my life. I never could find it, but I found it here when I quit trying to appear as something I wasn't, and I just humbled myself before God and said, Lord, I'm just a low-down sinner, and I need you to touch me and change my life. And if you've been hungry for God to do something in your life I might have the word for you tonight it may be time for you to come to an altar and say God I'm tired of trying to put on a front I'm tired of trying to live up with both false pretenses. I need you to do something in me, God. I haven't found it in anything else. I've tried, I've looked, but I can't find it anywhere else. Would you come one more time, Jesus, and touch my life? Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you that if you will do that, if you will come unto him, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, He said, I will give you rest. Let me tell you about what happened when Pentecost came. They emptied a lot of churches. They emptied a lot of dead, dry churches. Matter of fact, some of those preachers and some of those lay folks and some of them got pretty upset. And they tried to shut down the Pentecostal churches. Because they said, we don't need you coming in here. You're stealing all our saints. We weren't stealing saints. We were just bringing people to God. Some of those people never known God. They were just following a tradition. They were just following something that 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 that, that was that, that 
they had been told, you've got to do this. They'd never had a relationship with God. And I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm glad to be a part of something that is alive. I'm glad to be a part of something where I can have a walk with Him. I can know Him. I can know Him. I can know Him. I can walk with Jesus. I can talk with Jesus. I can, I can live for Him. His Spirit can dwell inside of me. And every day when I get up, I don't have to wonder if He's going to go with me or not. He already promised me He'd go with me. Every day when I get up, I don't have to worry if I'll have the strength to make it through. He's already promised me that He'll give me the grace I need to make it through any situation. You talk about a great deal. I'm telling you about a great deal tonight. You're not going to beat that anywhere. You're not going to beat it anywhere. You're not going to find it in a bottle. And you're not going to find it in anything else. You're not going to find it in a vehicle. You're not going to find it in a job. You're not going to find it in a house. You're only going to find that kind of fulfillment in living for the Lord. Somebody get up on your feet and give God some praise in this house tonight. I remember when I was a kid and somebody get to preaching about like this right now. And I think they're so far out of touch. They're so far. They'd make a statement like the one I'm going to make right now. You think you're you think trying to live cool is going to help you make it through this life? Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. And I'd hear somebody make a statement like that, and I'd say, oh, that preacher's so out of touch. Thank God I have learned otherwise. I'm not out of touch when I tell you that tonight. It's not going to be in your job. It's not going to be in in your position. It's not going to be in how you appear to people. It's not in any of those things. You just need to get down and say, Lord, I want to have a real relationship with you. And if you're going to last, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to be in this for something more than, 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 than just trying to fit in with all the cool kids. And Pentecost has its issue with people trying to fit in with all the cool kids. You can go to camp meetings and you can go to conferences. And you've got a segment there. They're just there to be see and be seen. That's all they're worried about. And I don't go for any of those reasons anymore. I might have used to, but I don't do it for those reasons anymore. I want to live for Him. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to be right with Him. I, I, I want him to be pleased with me. Lord, I pray tonight that this church, God, because I've seen this spirit come upon churches before. A prideful spirit. Blue bloods. God, I rebuke that tonight. Don't ever let us forget where we came from. I don't care what circumstances people in here grew up with. What privileges they grew up with. I don't care how long they've known this. Don't ever let us get prideful. And get to thinking. That, 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 that we're just a shoe in in all of this thing. And that we don't think it's about relationship anymore. But God help me get to the point. Where I know what it is. To daily live for you. Get pride out of me. Get arrogance out of me. Get a haughty look out of me. And Lord, help me live for you. In a day that is increasingly evil. In a day 
where people are increasingly looking for the way of ease. I pray God. That let there be ease in our vehicles. Let there be ease in our conveniences. But God, don't let that spirit get a hold of us when it comes to your word. And help us to break before you. And help us to be humble before you. So that you can do in us the thing that you desire to do. And we can, we can truly have a relationship with you. No more, God, of us just showing up. There's people in this room, Lord. Some of them show up every Sunday. Maybe every Wednesday they just show up, God. And they've been convicted tonight. And I pray, Lord, that something will change in this service this evening. And that we will not leave here the same. But that we will leave here saying, I've got to have something more than what I have. In the name of Jesus. Would you lift your hands right now in the presence of the Lord? Why don't we step out from where we are? Just walk down here for just a moment tonight. Let's just come talk to the Lord for just a moment. I'll let you go here in just a minute. But let's just come here together tonight. Let's ask God that that spirit of brokenness, that spirit of humility would get a hold of us. Let it get a hold of me.